0: If you just travel in New York, you could spend a year going to different restaurants from Pakistan, Afghanistan, you have India, you have South Africa, you have Italy, you have Spain, you have French, you have Caribbean. So, what I try to do is to pair some of the things that I grew up eating with foods that probably is completely on the other side of the globe and pair them together and have people try them. Welcome to the profitable table. Fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the restaurant industry. Now, here's your host, Wolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome to the profitable table. Yo, I am fired up today because I am talking to a legend in the restaurant industry. A man who started his career at Cote Basque, a man that opened up Negril, a man that opened up the first South African restaurant in New York City, a man that has been a chef, a consultant, a restaurant operator par excellence for over 25 years right here in New York. And I'm just so grateful that he took the time to come in and talk to us. Mr. Paul Simeon. Paul, thank yeah, you, man. man.
0: Big up, big up. This is awesome. Chef Paul here.
1: Awesome, man. Paul, tell the people here a little bit about yourself for people who aren't familiar, what you've been doing in the industry, and a little bit about your background, please.
0: Well, actually, I came from St. Lucia over here, maybe like 26, 27 years ago. Done a lot of different things. Uh, Tried boxing, tried different things, but my answering was cooking, because I grew up in the country. It was no electric up there, but I learned from my grandmother, my grandfather, and just how to get around, how to cook. So... I took a couple of classes, went to, you know, did time at uh, Le Côté Basque where I learned from, you know, chefs from the bottom up. What and was then,
1: what was that like being in Le Côté Basque because that's what, a legendary well, at, place?
0: I know, well at the time I didn't even know
1: yeah.
0: because I was I was young and trying to find myself into the cooking industry, working in restaurants and it's after that I realized, oh wow, that was a famous French place. Are there any
1: lessons you learned from Lakot Basque that you still use today or any strategies or anything they did that you think still works today or something that stuck with you for all those times?
0: I think the old school style of learning things, not only learning how to cook, but learning how a restaurant operates, learning how much a food costs, what's your portion control, learning how to run a restaurant. its It's almost being married to the restaurant. So, you have to learn so many things that you have to see. You have to understand that. Not just the art of being in a kitchen and cooking. You have to understand how to run the restaurant. Truth and then,
1: is, you got to really immerse yourself in it, which I think a lot of people now don't really understand. They'll watch something on TV or they'll read a cookbook and they think, oh, man, I, I, I,
0: I can't <laughs> yes, tell you how many.
1: Paul, <laughs> you know how many people come up to me and they say, my wife makes the most unbelievable chocolate chip cookies or I make the most unbelievable <laughs> yeah, brownie.
0: Yeah. I want to open a
1: restaurant. I'm like,
0: well. well, <laughs> you, And, and uh, the thing is that being old school, I like to see what the Food Network have done mm-hmm. for a lot of people. But also I think a lot of young guys, they, they they go to cooking school, they spend a couple of years and all of a sudden they think they're they a chef. They think they're top chef. But to walk down the street and to see people that you cook for, call your name, remember you. You see kids come in that you see from when they were born mm-hmm. and you still see them and they come back and give you that love. Mm-hmm. That's why I do this. So for me... I still do the old school stuff and uh, from navigating from one restaurant to another. Every restaurant is obviously different, but you, you have to learn so many things in this business. Learn how to work with people, even people that you don't get along with. You have to know how to where you're going to place them, who works together, who doesn't work together. So you have to pay attention to all that detail where you're getting the most out of that person.
1: It's a great point. One of the thoughts that I've had, and I've told people this so many times, I'm wondering your thoughts, is that people, if they're treated like they're special, whether it's people Mm -hmm. who work in the restaurant Mm -hmm. or guests who come into it, Mm -hmm. if they're treated like they're special, they make a great connection with whoever's taking care of them, the
0: bartender, the waitress,
1: they'll come back even if the food wasn't incredible. But if the food's incredible and people don't feel appreciated or -hmm. they don't feel like, Mm -hmm. you know... It's, a, it's an experience to have. Yeah, and,
0: and also consistency. It's not like if you go somewhere and you see something, like if you go to Italy, you see something that's special. That doesn't mean you have to do it. Sometimes you have to stick to the things that you know, okay, that's what people are buying. That's what they love. So you don't have a, a huge menu, but you have a moderate menu where everything is excellent. You have to look at the people that come to your restaurant, how to treat them, how to talk to them how to make them feel comfortable. Through the years, that's what I learned, to build that type of relationship with people. It's not just being a chef.
1: Now, one of the things that you've done in your career, and Mm -hmm. we've had the honor to work with you now at Mm -hmm. Harry's Daughter. We worked with you at Negril. You opened up the first South African restaurant Mm -hmm. in New Mm -hmm. York, Madiba. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was that like?
0: Well, Madiba, it was amazing because I met the guy who actually opened up Madiba. His name is Mark Hannigan. Mm -hmm. So... I was working up the block at a place called Brooklyn Mod. And that's, that's way back over on DeKalba Avenue in Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. that whole neighborhood was at the beginning popping. And he came right there and opened up a little place called Madiba. So he came up the block and he told me, you want to come work with me? And uh, I thought it was a learning experience. I had some knowledge of South African food, but he also guided me. And I love the music. I love the food. And at the time, the wines were, it was right after apartheid. Mm-hmm. So the it was so many wines coming from South Africa that was inexpensive and amazing. Wow. And the food and the music, I, I was just hooked, man. And I stayed over there. We made a lot of money. We had a lot of fun.
1: That's cool. I mean, when you bring a new cuisine to the city, mm-hmm. when I'm listening to you, it's like mm-hmm. the cuisine's always important, but the energy... The, the vibe of the place, the decor, the of staff. Of course, of course. Know? Of I mean, course, the,
0: the energy, and that that's what I like about working in New York. There are so many different styles of food, so many type of things that you could learn. Not just cooking school. If you just travel in New York, go to different restaurants, you could spend a year going to different restaurants from Pakistan, even Afghanistan. Mm. You go to, you have India, you have South Africa, you go, you have Italy, you have Spain, you have French, you have... Caribbean. So what I try to do is to pair some of the things that I grew up eating with foods that probably is completely on the other side of the globe and pair them together and have people try them.
1: What are some of your favorite pairings? Like what were some things that you really like growing up and what have you found that you've been able to pair it with that's well, something unique well, people I, wouldn't?
0: I always tell a lot of new chefs to do food is to do history. Mm. It is part of history. So when you do food, think you have to think. Okay, you you technically dealing with history. I I would take foods like, for example, if you're doing escovitch, Escovich is a is like a pickle in the Caribbean that we do with fried fish or fried, we, we put it on top. Mm-hmm. So sometimes most people don't realize that it's actually Jewish. Mm. It's not even it's not indigenous to, to the Caribbean. Amazing. But after World War Two. Most of the Amazing. Jewish people that came over there brought pickles. So we took it and we put a lot more pepper in there. So we put a lot of the, the ingredients that we knew. Mm-hmm. So when I do Escovich, I think of doing the traditional way. But also if you think of things like green papaya, if you think of even a watermelon rind, like if you use a watermelon, you could use the rind and then you could soak it in the same vinegar and make it spicy. You could do it different levels as you want. So there's so many things that you could you could work with. You know,
1: when you're a chef and you're putting together a menu, mm-hmm. what do you put your biggest emphasis on? And by that I mean the following: you made such a beautifully stated point there that mm-hmm. food is history. I've never mm-hmm. heard it described like that. That's no, but <laughs> that's that's so brilliant. And actually, it opens up so many permutations yeah. for people. Yeah. But when you're putting together a menu, do you? Make any decisions such as, I really want to make sure that this is either a complex menu, a diverse menu, or do you think, you know what, I'm just going to create these, you know, quote-unquote basic dishes, but the flavor, the way I do it, the the way the whole thing comes together is going to stand out. Well,
0: Well, also, you have to look at demographics also. If I'm working with something where, say, if I'm doing jerk chicken and I'm in East Flatbush, I might do something different from if I'm doing jerk chicken in a different place where they've never had it. So I might just do a jerk chicken spring roll. Got it. So if people who had the spring roll will try the jerk chicken inside and they'll be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Then I introduce them to the jerk chicken. That's you awesome. I mean? Yeah, of course, <laughs> so. I, I got
1: it. I mean, you know, it's, it's just so incredible because one of the challenges that I, again, that I see a lot with restaurants because mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to see some restaurants mm-hmm. that are super successful and other ones that don't is one of the challenges that people are not successful have is when they put together the menu. Sometimes I feel like they do complexity for complexity's sake.
0: I think a lot of people try to compete. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm here, I don't, I don't want to compete with David Burke. I just want to be me, you know? And sometimes the the simplest things, they seem simple. They're complex in in terms of flavor, of what they are. And uh, you develop the palate where you kind of understand that. It's, it's like if you're drinking coffee, but you drink coffee with sugar and milk, you may not actually taste the coffee. But if you drink the coffee on its own, then you will figure out the level of of how to introduce the coffee to a non-coffee drinker. It's like a wine. So when you do food, you have to think, okay, these are the customers I have coming. So I'm going to create the menu to suit their palate. And then I will introduce the things that I, I know slowly. Instead of thinking, oh, this guy on the other side of the street has a big Italian restaurant, so I'm going to try to take some of his food and put it on my menu.
1: You got to be true to yourself, true to what you, exactly. what you
0: believe in. <laughs> and you always learn. No matter how much you think you know, there's always time to learn. So you learn, you try different things, and then you develop a menu, and then you introduce it to people. But in terms of sometimes you go to a restaurant on one side of, of the street, you have busy restaurant. On the other side empty it might be simple things that people uh, are looking too far ahead instead of doing simple ingredients like you don't need sometimes 20 different ingredients you don't need 10 different sometimes four great ingredients fits perfectly
1: and you know i'm thinking the whole thing whether it's in the restaurant business and many others but for Mm -hmm. sure in the restaurant business those restaurants that are Built on authenticity mm-hmm. And I can think of a lot of them now mm-hmm. Those are the ones that stay profitable And relevant for years Because when it's built on authenticity Paul, do you think it's then easier To introduce new things Because people know, hey, I started this restaurant And this menu is a reflection of what I authentically Want to bring to the market Of course, of course Then of they'll course. take the risk and, and experiment the, with you And
0: they will experiment with you but And then you do that gradually Instead of putting everything at the same time And also, you have to think of your profit margin too. Sometimes you have to think, okay, if I want a, a menu that, that is more complex or more you know, sophisticated, do I have the money to hire a chef that is at that level? I mean, you have to look at the whole thing. Where am I getting the food from? Where is my food source coming from? How much am I paying for it? Or What, is, what am I trying to sell? Let you know? me ask
1: you a question that I think about often and I'm wondering if you've come up against this as a chef. Obviously, meal delivery companies are prevalent. Meal Mm -hmm. delivery is Mm -hmm. huge now. Mm -hmm. To what extent, if any, do you take into consideration the meals that you're preparing and how they will you know, fare, so to speak, after they've been delivered? In other words, is there any thought as to, you know, I've got this really great dish, but I I don't want to put it available for delivery because it's just not one of those meals. Well,
0: I actually just had a conversation with the lady I work for. We were doing a catering. And then she wanted certain things on the menu that is unique to okay if you're doing if you put in rum, if you're doing waffles with rum or you're giving your 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 food this extra flavor, you have to figure okay this it's flour based, so if you make it by the time you transport it, it's not gonna have that crispiness anymore. So do you really want to do that? Because now you're dealing with social media, people are going to be right on you. And sometimes if you do something like that, you have to stick to foods that will hold. And when it gets there, it will be the same.
1: That's a great point. And it's also a great opening to something else because you obviously are a chef that's got it down in terms of knowing what to cook, what to add, how to evolve. Mm -hmm. But in the restaurant business, Mm -hmm. What you and I just discussed, which is essentially, hey, this is a phenomenal dish when you eat it here. Mm. We put this and we take it out. Someone's going to have a bad experience, and that's exactly. What other aspects of running a restaurant do you think people are not paying enough attention to? In other words, mistakes that people can avoid. They've got a good restaurant. They've got things going on, Mm -hmm. but mistakes that people make that really hurt them that could be avoided.
0: Well. Sometimes there are people who who want, who they have the money to open up the restaurant, but they never worked in a restaurant. So I'd always say that it is a good idea. Go work as a waiter, go work as a waitress so that you, you feel for those people who put all the hours in. Even the, the guy who cleans the floor at the end of the night, you have to kind of understand what he does, the amount of work that he does. So I think like, is not just opening up a restaurant. You have to have a connection with the people that you work that works with you, so you get the most out of them. I can
1: totally relate to that. You know, I'm the CEO of Wilco now, but mm-hmm. <laughs> for three years I worked in customer service. That's and important. And I learned so much. In other words, without that experience, I would be a fraction of what I am mm-hmm. because you learn so much about interacting of with customers, of interacting with team makers. That's such a great point. People want to open a restaurant and it's it's always looking very glamorous. It's like Rick from Casablanca. We have these images. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to really do something, you've got to understand that you're going into a very complicated business.
0: Very, very complicated. I mean, people would think of food. If you look at a plate, I would create a plate for you and I will put it right here. Now, a happy person will write good things about that plate. But if the person is unhappy, They will not enjoy the food. It's the the same food. Yes. But so it's deeper than just creating the food. Creating the food is one level, but there are probably another 10 levels of having that person have a great experience having that food.
1: What steps do you think restaurants should be taking on a daily basis to do everything they can to make sure that people who walk in the door have a great experience?
0: I think staff training. Most people work on a budget where, okay, they spend a lot of money on the interior of the restaurant. By the time they get to running the restaurant, they're working from the cash register to the person, to the employees, and they hire people who are not properly trained. So you have to take the time to train people. Otherwise, from from the beginning, you know, and this is why I always say being an apprentice is one of the most important things I learned at Le Côte Basque. Is having people scream at you and sometimes you took it and then you're like, okay, I'm learning. So how uh, how to do certain things, how to package certain things, and then you get the best out of that product, not throwing things away, you know? I mean, if the guy had the tips of the carrot, he would like, be like, no, nah, we could take this and, you know, make stock out of it. So everything, to use the whole thing, you need to go through that process and you have to spend the time to teach your stuff.
1: Something that I believe very strongly for my business is the single most important component of my business are the people who work here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can have the most beautifully designed restaurant, the most exotic menu, the most <laughs> fabulous chef, if the people that are interacting with your customers. So you're so exactly. right about training. And I can tell you what I do here, and I think it's probably required. It's not even enough To just train at the beginning. It has to be a daily thing.
0: It's a a daily thing. It's a daily relationship. This is why I think the restaurant is almost like your wife. You spend more time in the restaurant sometimes than you spend at home. So the people who work with you, you have to build that relationship with them that you are happy and they are happy. So there's always going to be friction like every other relationship. But you have to know the timing when to call and the person and talk to the person and say, okay, not in the middle of service <laughs> to start screaming and doing everything. So for me, the food and the experience is one thing. The cooking, the happiness, to being able to look forward to coming to work. Otherwise, people will not come want to come to work for you, you know?
1: Because you obviously have the insight that you've earned from so many years of doing Mm -hmm. this and and you're looking at it from the the capacity of being a chef, Mm -hmm. from somebody that's eager to learn. How do you get the people, let's say you go into a new kitchen or you open a new venture, Mm -hmm. we we know you're looking at some stuff which we're going to get into. Now you have people working there. How do you go about training them so that they become the type of people that are open to being given criticism, that they're open to learning, because that's a, that, that's a huge challenge. But if you can crack that with people, there's endless possibility.
0: And that is always the challenge, is being able to, from the beginning, is like the first impression of the people that you work with. Now, if there are people who, there was an old French chef who used to say, if you come with your cup half empty, then you don't really need me your cup half full. But if you come with your cup half empty, I can teach you what I know. And this is what I try to teach to people who come. But also you have to be able to talk to people without making them feel lesser than you. You You have to be able to give them the confidence. Because some people, a lot of young people or people who never worked in the business, they may be intimidated by maybe running a kitchen on their own. And you have to give them that, That confidence is like boxing, you know? You have to have that confidence because whenever you think you're going to lose, you've lost already. So you have to instill in them. It's like going back to school and you have to spend the time to teach the people, you know, even before you open up the restaurant, you know, you have to spend the time to teach them.
1: That is such a great point. I mean, I look at the situation here and I definitely, as much as I love our customers and Mm I do, I value the happiness and the relationships I have with the people that work here first, Mm -hmm. because if the teammates here are not happy, they're not going to be projecting Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And also, it's like you said, it's a relationship where you're spending so much of your time. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff on TV and, you know, this guy, Gordon Ramsay, phenomenal, reputational and stuff. Mm -hmm always cursing, always screaming, all that. You know, there's that whole myth about the chef of the hard ass and the guy that's going to curse at you. You're taking the approach that's totally different. I'm much more in alignment in your approach.
0: I work with, there's a restaurant close in Sunset Park called Mm Asia, which is, uh, you know, they do a lot of beautiful Japanese food. And I try to learn every time I'm there. He's a guy about, you know, my age, you know, and he told me when he was learning, the Japanese guys used to slap him behind his head. (laughs) <laughs> it's like you, you you can't do that. It, you can't it's flat do bush, that here. Dude. You can't do that. <laughs> I'm like, it's Flatbush, you can't do that, bro. Uh. So I learned from him, and it's the same thing, the approach of killing people with kindness, even people that I don't get along with, and I'm like, Okay, this is a hard person to deal with. I'm like, hey, you know, sorry, that's that's not gonna work out. They never, they never have that malice towards me. We just go separate ways if we can, not but I would never treat people like this because to be able to get the most out of people, you have to really have that interaction. You have to not just be a chef, but to be a people person. So I, I would say Gordon Ramsay, bless, bless him, but this is not my style. My style is when I walk down the street after work, I could still have a drink with the people that I work with, you know?
1: That's awesome. I, I can totally relate to it. I mean, I'm sure Gordon, he's very successful. That I'm sure he's a great guy, but I'm just using him as an example. Yeah. One of the other many aspects of this business that you are really expert on and people rely on you to guide them on mm-hmm. is when they're looking to open a restaurant mm-hmm. and they're looking at locations. Exactly. What do you look for when someone comes to you with I assume they come to you with a budget. What are you looking for when you look for locations to open up a restaurant?
0: Well, location, but you have to understand how a restaurant operates. You have to understand the construction of the restaurant. What things you look for when you walk in? Okay, if I walk into a space and the piping is wrong, that might be and and say that might cost you an extra fifty, sixty thousand dollars. I have to be able to see that to tell you, listen, that's not a good idea. It's a good location, but that's what it's going to cost you. So when I go to a restaurant, it's not just, you know, it looks beautiful. Uh, It might be one raw space, or it might be a place that had an old restaurant before. Just for example, there's a place called Brooklyn Chop House, close to City Hall over there. A guy brought me over there. We're doing consulting for him and... We went in there, and then they started ripping off everything, and I said, "This is a historic building. You can't just change anything. you have to go through the city and get all the proper licenses to, to be able to do that work. And what they did, they had a work stoppage. Oh man so that ended up costing so when you do a restaurant, you have to be able to see all those things and uh, help the person not you know fall into those, those pitfalls so that gives me you know, certain amount of importance to the person so they see that I'm looking out for them instead of just taking their money.
1: I think it's really important for people to understand, for people that are already successful in this business and have been doing it for a long time, Mm -hmm. such as yourself, that you know this. I think for people that are entertaining opening a restaurant or a bakery or something, there really has to be a level of time and a level of commitment made to educating yourself on as much as you can first. I'm not talking about analysis paralysis. You know, that's not a good mm-hmm. way to go through life. Mm-hmm. You're passionate about opening a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You've made that decision. You've got the money. You're mm-hmm. a go. Mm-hmm. Awesome. But there's 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. You got to use some of them to keep educating yourself on everything you can, right? Because when you go into that business and yeah. you start serving customers, in this world we live in today, it's an unforgiving business you open the first night you have 10 people unhappy they start spreading the word
0: you well got yeah that's what I, I tell a lot of owners you could have a million dollars in your pocket and you, you feel strong and you feel like okay i'm gonna go in and go open up this restaurant and you could lose that million dollars in like no time it'll be gone so you have to understand what you're getting into you have to do the proper research and people will give you advice but you have to find the proper people to give you advice my old man always said, the person who tell you to buy the horse with the big belly, they don't help you to feed it. They just tell you to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be careful. You got to be careful what friends say. You got to get the sauce. You got to get people who actually put the work in to understand what it is because it's not always easy. It might look beautiful on the outside. When you come into a restaurant, you'll see all the customers. You see everybody laughing and joking. But we might be down in the basement sweating. (laughs) That's the
1: thing. You know, so many times I've been in the the kitchen and the back room of so many great restaurants. Mm -hmm. And for me, as much as it's always impressive and and Mm -hmm. fun to walk through a beautiful Mm -hmm. restaurant and the the, the beautiful staff and everything that's going on, Mm -hmm. I love the – I know a successful restaurant, Paul, when I feel the energy in the back of the house. If the back of the house is popping – I know that this is a place what, that's got it going that, that's on. That's
0: what I try to create because that gets me, people to do the food, to be happy doing the food. So when the plate goes out, it has happiness in it.
1: You know what else I found? And, and this is something I want people to think about and I'd love your thoughts. When it comes to the back of the house and the front of the house, I've always felt and I've always seen that the back of the house are the people who are the true leaders that set the tone. Mm-hmm. You know, in, what I mean by that is the following. If the back of the house has got people that are positive, that are happy to come mm-hmm. to work, that mm-hmm. are energetic, mm-hmm. that are getting after it, that sets the tone in the restaurant and you will see it and lift you will up see the front. It,
0: of course, you're going to see the customers come in and you will see that, that glow. And this is what you strive to do. This is what we work so hard to do. This is why I live, I'm working in Jersey City, but I live in Sunset Park. So I got to leave my house at 6 a.m. on a Saturday or Sunday to get over there by or before 10 to open at 12 because I don't want to rush. I want to come in and prep the food where if I'm doing bacon or whatever it is that you don't have to turn up the oven. No, you're doing it slowly. So you have the time. So when customers come in, you are relaxed.
1: And I should say that where Paul is now is Harry's daughter in Jersey City, and that's where we are in, in Wilco Foods. We are in Jersey, Jersey City. So much, hap- so much is happening here. Harry's daughter, excellent restaurant. And we're going to be given some information at the end, So, because I have a feeling, Paul, after this interview, a lot of people are going to be wanting your advice and your thoughts on a lot of things. I know I, I know <laughs> I'm I, have,
0: available. <laughs> I have
1: a lot more questions and a lot more stuff mm-hmm. in my mind as well. What trends do you see going on now? that are going to be relevant in the restaurant business five years out? And what trends do you see that are really flash in the pan that you, you don't see hanging out? You know, If there's one thing that's going on now that you would say, yeah, this trend is going to be relevant in mm-hmm. five years, what mm-hmm. would you say that is? I,
0: I think I'm really impressed with people who are doing fresher, more vegetarian food. I think also I'm happy. I don't like overfishing, obviously. But I think foods that are not farmer raised, you know, people are getting more educated because obviously, you know, with social media and everything, where we get our vegetables, how we cook them, people who are not doing. I think the technique of doing that old French, a lot of butter and cream that was at the time, pretty much all the people who had money would have the best part of the animal or the, the more expensive stuff expensive is not necessarily better you know no doubt. so in terms of of food and the transformation of food people are learning how to eat sometimes basic ingredients where you don't necessarily have to spend a whole lot of money to get something good so i'm i'm happy to see that transformation happening
1: me too i i think that the trend is happening there as well and i would say one of the challenges that we solve and we're asked to solve multiple times a week are Customers of ours that call us up or call up their rep and say, look, what do you have on a poultry line that's antibiotic-free, mm-hmm. farm-raised, mm-hmm. organic? Mm-hmm. And this is something that people are really into. Mm-hmm. The challenge that we have right now, and and I think this is a challenge that will become less mm-hmm. substantial over time, is mm-hmm. there is still a big cost differential between, say, organic cutlets and well, non-organic. Well, of
0: course. And this is, this is why... Uh, actually I want to do a food and wine testing or a food and rum testing maybe once uh, once a month that I want to introduce to educate the customer so it's just like i'm getting if i 'm getting a, pro- a product from you then I have to pass it on to the customer so you have to spend the time to educate the customer what it is they're eating why it's more expensive if you get a farmer's salmon or any fish like if you 're doing mahi mahi you know you cannot farmerize it So you will pay more money for it. So you have to educate the the customer that this is why you're paying more.
1: Feeding off of what you're saying, Mm -hmm. I think customers want, and this is for the restaurant business for sure, but I think all businesses, but for our business, customers want transparency. And I think if restaurateurs are transparent and say, look, we're offering these new healthy Mm -hmm. Mm farm-to-table whatever – and this is why it costs more money. And you don't have to be that explicit. But just being fully transparent with people. You know, I go into you go into restaurants today, Paul. Each item has its own story now. Mm-hmm. Chickens from here, produce from exactly. here. It wasn't like that in the 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, 90s, whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up eating free-range chicken is what we ate. But also, I do understand that the population is growing bigger. So people, there are different ways where you know, trying to exploit, you know, the way in which food is harvested. But like you say, transparency is the key. You have to you have to be transparent. Okay. This is this is where you're getting your food from. This is how it's grown. You have to be have that relationship with your customers.
1: You know, as I'm listening to you and I'm I'm learning and I'm I'm really getting a lot out of what you're saying. This is a podcast, so people let go to Wilco Foods social media, where you go to the profitable table, you go to Holland and York, you're going to see that Paul's a fit guy. Those of you just listening to us, you can't. I want to ask you, what rituals uh-huh. do you do yourself every day to make yourself such an energetic, positive person? Because like you were talking about the unhappy person that mm-hmm. comes into a mm-hmm. restaurant and be the best plate of food, if their mindset is off, well, what my, do you do every the, day to get the, your mind the, up? The
0: mindset for me is every day I get up, and I walk out the door, I give thanks that I'm alive. And I obviously try to eat healthy. My dad used to say, if you walk down the street and you get hit by a car and you're in a bad mood, you still go in a bad mood. So I don't try to go in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I try to enjoy what I do. And I say to people, if you do not enjoy what you do, it's a big world out there. There's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of challenges to do. You navigate, you know, through life and you just try to learn. You learn from other people. It's a big world. So you, you try your best. But every time, every time I get up, I give thanks. So when I go to work, I want to be happy. When I come back home, and that doesn't mean you're not going to go through different things in your life. Everybody has to go through ups and downs. You cannot define good without bad. It's the opposite. No so you, so it's more of it. No doubt. So you just, you just take your lumps and you, you, you keep walking.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think gratitude is the foundation for being happy. And any time I ever catch myself where I feel frustrated or dejected or negative, mm-hmm. I immediately ask myself a question that's going to shift my mood. And that first question is, what do you have to be grateful for? And the exactly. list is so long. And then <laughs> once I start realizing all the things I have to be grateful for. And these are things that if people think about it, they all have. It's just mm-hmm. they don't ask the question. You know, they're spending so much time thinking about why is this wrong or what's going on here, they don't realize how if, much they everything, have.
0: Everything has something you could look at it that's negative. I drank aloe vera juice. Shave some aloe vera, blend it up with some coconut water. Put throw some berries in there. It was bitter, but it's good. <laughs> it's, it's good for you. No so, so you have to look at everything. You could you could say, oh, this is bitter. I don't want to have it. But it's it's life. It's what it is. So we have to try to enjoy both parts of of life.
1: What is your favorite dish to cook?
0: Well, I would say one of my favorite things to cook is salted codfish. Now. Salt cod, you know, during slavery and after slavery, it was a way of preserving, you know, the fish. But you've never seen a cod swimming in the Caribbean. (laughs) 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 It came all the way from (laughs) Finland over there, but they would salt it and send it (laughs) over there. And I don't know, we're kind of addicted to that. So for me, I boil green banana, green bananas, or I use either salted codfish or I use smoked herring. So we saute that, you know, you blanch out the salt out of it and you saute your onions, thyme, scallions. You could put, uh no, don't cook the tomatoes too much and then you, you fold that salted card in there and we eat that with green banana. Or we mash the pumpkin, which is like kubacha, pumpkin, with either potatoes or green banana. You mash them together and then you fold in your smoke herring or whatever. So these are some of the things I used to, I grew up eating, And my my old man uh, just in 91, so wow. <laughs> it wasn't so bad. God, you
1: have a father that's 91. 91, <laughs> 91 man. That is awesome. Uh, that is, sorry,
0: that's good mileage. That is, that is awesome. <laughs>
1: that is awesome mileage. Paul, this has been such a, such a great interview. And what I'm going to do, if it's okay with you, is for people that want if Paul's kind enough to give it to me, his recipe on how he makes salted cod, you're going to be able to access that on woolcofoods.net. You're going to be able to see that on our Instagram. Definitely. You're going to see it. We're going to be listing all of Paul's information. This guy, if you want to deal with somebody that knows this business inside and out, and not just somebody that knows this business, somebody that knows life inside and out, someone that's going to bring value to what you're doing, I can't think of anybody better to pick up the phone and ask and talk to because this has been this has been a real real pleasure Paul and I've thank gotten you, so you. much value and learned so much from talking to you man thank and you. I don't and now I can say and I hope you'll agree we're not customers man we're friends
0: Of course of course and that's, this, what, it's about, that's what this
1: is all about That's what this is all about So Paul thank you for call, thank you for coming in this has been an absolute joy for me and I so appreciate it and for those of you out there listening I've been talking to Paul Simeon, chef, consultant, restaurateur, boxer, philosopher, somebody really special that has a tremendous amount of value. If you listen to him, he is now with Harry's Daughter, which is in Jersey City. I'll have the address available for you to check out on social media as well as our website. And thank you so much for listening. This is a great example of what we do at The Profitable Table. We give you actionable, relevant information on how to run your restaurant. But we'll get into anything and everything if it brings value, if it makes us laugh, if it makes us happy, if it makes us enjoy life more. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Paul. And I'll be back with you guys real soon. Thank you. Have a great day. My pleasure, man. Was that an awesome podcast or what? That's what you get at the profitable table, conversations with people that are experts in this business. But in this case, I got something I wasn't even expecting, which was so much great advice on dealing with people, being open-minded, learning, just a very special interview, a very special person. I'm going to be ending the profitable table with something that I enjoy, and I hope you'll find value. I love to read. I love books. I love to learn. And something that Paul was discussing and we were sharing in our in our conversation was all about people and how to work with people and how to create value and make them happy and, and just get the most out of those relationships. There's a book with a very grating title for some called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. But trust me, if you haven't read this book, it is a book to read, whether you're a business owner, whether you're a human being whether you're a husband whether you're a friend this book has tremendous information in it and i wanted to share that with you if you have any books that you've loved that you were inspired to think of because of this interview or you just want to share with me in general please let me know about it by putting it on the comments page on the profitable table or shooting us an email here at the profitable table would love to know what books you've read that might be of value to me i'm always on the hunt for something great Anyway, have an awesome day and I look forward to checking in with you guys soon. Have a great one.
0: Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Steven Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.